thought we'd start tonight a little bit with our own stories a bit um, that are very unique and different in some ways. Like, I'm the youngest of nine children in a, in a large family, so a very big family. And I'm the oldest of five children. Actually, my parents could probably be her parents' parents. Um, my mom had me when she was 39. My mom had me when she was 19. Very different stories that we have growing up in our life. Um, however, Can we I did... just make a comment about that? Because sure. we always say it's a miracle either one of us are here, because neither yeah. one of us were planned. <laughs> yeah, needless to say, we weren't planned. So. Well, you, they are, you could have been planned, it, but you weren't planned. I wasn't planned. Not a plan. <laughs> Matter of fact, you kind of created a marriage. Yes. Yeah, so, and, uh, and, uh, uh, back in 1964, you got married when that happened, but it was actually our prom, my prom, uh, my uh, sophomore year in high school, um, that I invited her to our prom, and she said yes, and we've been dating ever since, so that's a very long time. The theme of that prom was You're Wonderful Tonight, you know there at Clapton song? You guys know that? It's late in the evening, No. Okay, thank you. At least there's a couple Clapton fans in this room, so there we go. So anyway, that's a little bit of our story. I don't know what else we were going to tell about our story. Uh, well, we that, was, we, that wasn't the end of it. No, the problem was, wasn't the end of it. No, that was not the end. But um, So we dated for six years, and we've been married... 28, almost 29. 29. So 35. We've been in a relationship for 35. So we just want to share some things that... One of the things that's important to also hear about our story in this is that um, for some of you, I'm sure you've been part of the church and part of faith and following Jesus. Uh, Maybe it's been all your life or maybe a short part of your life. Maybe there's some people here that you're not really even sure totally what you're at and what's going on here. But we, uh, as freshmen in college, this would have been strange to us. Um, We were not followers of Jesus. this whole concept was very different. I grew up in a very nominal Catholic, uh, typical kind of Irish Catholic, nominal family. Faith wasn't a part of our family, wasn't part of home. Uh, there were just some things we had to do over the course of a given year, Christmas and Easter kind of stuff. But it was not very much a part of our life. No, it wasn't part of my life at all either. So we really came in here as freshmen knowing really nothing. Came into college really knowing nothing. It wasn't until the end of our freshman year in college that we uh, made a decision to follow Jesus in our life. And we're going to tell you more about that story and how we got there over the course of the weekend. But um, So we want you to understand that, that, that our journey is, as well is, is not just kind of this journey of we, we met at the skating rink and all of a sudden we fell in love and we've lived happily ever after, so to speak. There's a lot of transition that occurred in our life um, around, uh, especially around dating and around our understanding of romance and our understanding of love and these things that we're going to talk about this weekend because we went from a typical, what I would call, kind of red-blooded American couple to a couple who was trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus. And there was a period of time we even broke up in the midst of that and, and a lot of different things that were challenging during the course of that time. Thankfully, we didn't break up and we stayed together and, and we got married and Ryan shared a little bit more of our story of, of uh, getting to be interns at the end. We went to Colorado and we started a college ministry uh, down there at CU Boulder that's called the Annex. Some of you might know or are familiar with that uh, ministry. We started that in 1988. And came back and was a part of the inn and uh, for a number of years, and, and it was great. And now we get to help start 
Young Life uh, College Ministry. We tell people all the time we took the best of the inn, of what we know about the inn, and we took the best of what high school has done with Young Life for years, and we combined them together about 10 years ago and started. It's brand new. It's only 10 years old, Young Life Colleges. We started this 10 years ago, and we're now on about 170 campuses around the world, 12 different countries, and, and literally over 60, probably over 70,000 college students are being impacted now through uh, what was what is the root or the, the, the base of the inn here and how we've developed this with the Young Life brand around the world. So it's pretty cool to see what's happening. We don't say that for our own sake as much as to say God has put us on an incredible journey where we have learned in the last 10 years of our life, we're now 50, we're in our 50s, the last 10 years of our life we realized more and more that we're not in charge, He is. And you're going to learn this as we go throughout this weekend together. Chair. Sure. I, I think we should just say that in a room like this, we know that some people are excited about this topic. You know, you're excited to learn more about dating and relationships and marriage and all the things that come with that. And some of you are like, it's kind of the last thing I want to be thinking about. And and we just want you to know that there's there's a phrase that we've used for a long time, and you can put it up on the Yeah, screen. I think our first slide. We've got a few slides coming up. What matters most matters most in all relationships. I mentioned this Tuesday at the end. This is an important thing to realize. This is gonna this is kind of going to kind of undergird everything that we say is that what matters most matters most in all relationships, and we want you to hear that. We're gonna try to use a few examples of the course of the weekend that aren't just about romantic relationships, but other relationships as well. Because what we learned is that what matters most matters most in relationship, that that you can't have this mentality or idea that Somehow, once I get into a dating relationship, all of a sudden I'm going to kick into gear with all these wonderful traits. Or you're going to think that the person that you date might kick in and have these wonderful traits. That the reality is, is the way you are with your roommates, unfortunately, for some, might be very well be the way you're going to be with somebody that you get into a romantic relationship with. Okay? Because what matters, what ends up happening is the way we are with one in one relational place we're ultimately going to be with unless something changes. If it's good, great. If it's not so good, then we need to be careful and so we need to keep those things in mind. What matters most matters most in all relationships. So we're just going to kill on the fact that you can kind of translate what we say to the relationships that you're um, most working on right now. Yeah, so, and we decided to change a little bit of the way we're going to do it today, this weekend, is because it is Super Bowl weekend, you're going to have four talks. Tonight's game plan, tomorrow is going to be game changers, tomorrow night's going to be game adjustments, and then Sunday's just game on. This is game time, so we just got to get going and get going, so we're all fired up, okay? So, you know, for those of you who are like going, oh no, romantics, relational stuff, I can't relate. Okay, sports, we relate to sports, so... I'll put it all in the context of sports for us, okay? Because it's the only way I understand it. So, anyway, next one. Next thing we got. So, um... Can you see that all right? Dim the light for a minute. Let me, let me this see it. picture, um, was taken on a little island called Viaquez in Puerto Rico. Anybody Mike been I, there? Mike and I were yeah. um, doing some, yeah. meeting some... Um, Young Life staff at the University of Puerto Rico, and uh, we decided to, it was my close to my birthday, and so we decided we'd take a few days and go to this island called Viaquez, which was pretty amazing. And if you look at this picture, you'd go, man, I'd love to go to Viaquez, because that looks like a place we'd want to be right now. And um, 
But there, there's another part of this phrase, a picture paints a thousand words. You've heard that a lot of times, but Mike and I added um, a second part to that that says, but it doesn't tell the whole story. So a picture paints a thousand words, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Because the story went like this. We get into our Jeep, because everyone on Viacaz drives Jeeps, and we drive down this Indiana Jones pothole road, and I, I have, I'm a person just who always has to pee, so it's a, always a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm in pain as we're driving there, I have to tell you. I'm but you know, have you been on one of those drives there where you're driving along, and you're driving long enough that you kind of all of a sudden start going, because you're not exactly sure where you're going. Like, we, we don't know where we're going. We just know that the end of the island is this beach that we heard great sunsets. And so we're first day there, we're like, let's go to the beach and have this sunset romantic time, this is going to be great, and we start doing the pothole road. I mean, you're doing this in a Jeep to the point where you're actually going slow, because you're like yeah. doing that, and you get to the point where, you know, in the driveway, you kind of go, should we just turn around? <laughs> Have you ever been in a drive like that where it's like, and then you go, no, we've gone too far already. I'm not turning around. Like, it's got to be right we did, around the corner. We did that twice, where you kind of go, let's, no, let's turn, no, no, we've gone too far already. Let's keep going. No, no, let's turn around. So, and then she's going, it, I've got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> so. it's, it's fun for the three minutes on the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. It's not fun 40 minutes later when you yeah. have to go to the bathroom. So, but we finally arrive at the beach, and um, I'm gra- grabbing my camera because... The sun was almost ready to set. It looked just like it looks in this picture when we got there. So I'm grabbing my camera and my beach towel, and I'm heading out to the beach. Mike's grabbing our bottle of wine. Small bottle. Small bottle. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we get out there. I'm snapping a few pictures, and then I hear this. Well, no, and you're just all of a sudden there was like, what is on us? Yeah. We're getting totally, completely attacked by sand fleas. Mike, literally all over. I actually water. jumped in the water like, I didn't know what else to do. Jumping in the water. Like, yeah. He doesn't know what else to do. And uh, I'm trying to pick stuff up because we realize we have to leave. Yeah, she snaps this picture. <laughs> I snap this picture. We get back in the we get back in the car and we just take off as fast exactly. as we can. As we're still like trying to get Still getting them. They're still there everywhere. And then we wake up. Yeah, we were at this beach for really, for thirty seconds. <laughs> and I'm, that is not an exaggeration. Not one bit. Thirty seconds, forty minutes in the Jeep, Indiana Jones, having to pee for thirty seconds in that photo. Yeah. So. But we spent the next three days putting yeah. anti-itch lotion on the numerous <laughs> sand flea bites we had all all over our bodies. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had them before. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, kind of has an effect on romance. Let's just say, like, so here's this beautiful romantic picture and setting of us on this gorgeous yeah. island of Viaquez. Yeah. Picture so, paints a thousand words, but doesn't tell the whole story. And we bring that up just because in our media, our social media saturated world, it's really easy to look at snapshots of love and dating and romance and just think, wow, that just looks amazing. Not realizing that behind the beautiful picture is a whole other story that you don't know very much about. And there's a lot of sand fleas there. And so what we want to talk to you about this weekend is the sunsets. Because we've been in a relationship for a long time. And we've had what we really consider ourselves fortunate to have this really wonderful marriage and relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it has nothing to do with luck. 
I know sometimes we, oh, we hope we get lucky. It doesn't have anything to do with luck. It has to do with a lot of decisions that we made and um, guided by scripture and a lot of other things. So uh, we just want you to know that um, we know that some of you are there, but there's also a flip side. And I was telling Mike this too, that some of you have come from a place where you know a lot about sand fleas. And your relationships have been nothing but sand fleas. So we want to also show you this picture and saying that it's also like this. It's mm. both. And how do we navigate through both of these two realities? Okay. Hey, we want to jump into some scriptures. So throughout the weekend, we'll look at a couple really important passages um, and, uh, and, and do a little bit of teaching and understanding from the Bible. And so our first one we're going to look at tonight, I don't know if you have your Bible, but we'll put it up here. Um, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, in all honesty, 20 years as a college pastor uh, before I went into my current role with Young Life, where I still do my share of teaching, but not as regular. There's only one time I've actually taught in this passage of scripture. Sherry and I did a talk at the end, um, maybe a, ten, it was about like, 10 years ago uh, at the end on it. Um, but we haven't, I don't teach on this passage because it's a passage where Jesus is being asked a question about divorce. It just doesn't, it never seemed like an appropriate passage to use in front of a group of college students, you know. And, um, but the reality is, is the more I've studied this passage over the years, the more that I realize this is the one of the best passages we can teach on. Because it will teach us a ton about, um, about how we actually interpret scripture and come to understand various things. And so uh, let, me, uh, let me read this for you. Matthew 19, starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went southward to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Vast crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. And then it says, Some Pharisees, and these were religious leaders of the day, some of the religious leaders they came and tried to trap him with a question. One of the things these religious leaders always were trying to do was get Jesus to say something that would get him in trouble. They were looking for a way... At the end of the day, they were looking for a way to ultimately have him crucified. I mean, that's what they were looking to do, uh, to put him away, to get him out of their sights. But they, were, they, they came to him to try to trap him. And, in that, and this time it was this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, the reason why they're asking this question is because there were two basic thoughts within uh, the Jewish uh, culture at the time. There was one side of the culture that was actually not much different than it is in our culture today. Which was, so don't think that the modern way we think about marriage today was, was something foreign back then, because it wasn't at all. Matter of fact, in some ways it was even a lot worse 2,000 years ago. But what we have in our culture now is what we call the no-fault divorce. You get divorced for basically any reason. Matter of fact, you don't have to have a reason. It's called no-fault divorce. It came about basically in the 80s, started in California. Marriage in our culture got redefined, because there's been the last couple of years a lot of conversation around the redefining of marriage. Marriage got redefined in our culture way back when they decided to create no-fault divorce. Okay, and you're going to understand that in this passage in a second. But 2,000 years ago, there was a belief that you could divorce for any reason. Now, women, sorry, but 2,000 years ago, you couldn't divorce your husband. Maybe, maybe in a rare, rare, rare occasion. But this really was a question posed to the man because the woman was a property. And so the question was, could a man divorce his wife for any reason? And one side said yes. Basically, if you burnt dinner, he could divorce you. 
I mean, it was ridiculous. And I always got to keep in mind, Jesus, one of the great things that he did, and the Apostle Paul as well, is he elevated women. And he brought them to a whole different position than they were. And we're going to talk about that when I bring up a passage tomorrow of Scripture. The other side of things was a very strict side that basically said, no, you can't divorce for any reason. There's only a few reasons in which you could divorce. And so there are basically two, two factions. They're coming to Jesus and saying, where's your position? What do you hold on this topic? Okay, you follow me on that? So this wasn't kind of out of booth. This is a real argument amongst the religious leaders of the day. Are you going to be somebody who's very liberal, divorced for any reason? Or are you somebody who says, no, it's very rare cases. Okay? And Jesus does an interesting thing. Watch what he does. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Now, this is the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. God made the male and female, and he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He says, Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one separate them, for God has joined them together. See what Jesus does here? Because he takes them all the way back, right? Now, they said this, Then why did Moses say a man could merely write an official letter of divorce and send her away. And for those of you that don't know, Moses was a pretty important person in the Old Testament. They claim that the, the law of God came through Moses, okay, to the people of Israel. And so they're saying, well, Moses said they could write a letter and, and divorce and send her away. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce as a concession to your hard-hearted wickedness. But it was not what God had originally intended. Okay? And I tell you this. A man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now Jesus' disciples, look at the response to this. So you might be listening to this and you're like, some of you in this room might say, Amen. Jesus, thank you for emphasizing the importance of marriage for a lifetime. Right? Some of you might be sitting back going, oh, whatever. You know, Jesus, you know, quit being so tight. You know, it's, I'm more of the liberal class. What's interesting is the response of his friends. The disciples then looked at Jesus and said, you know what? It's better not to marry. If that's the case, in other words, if I'm stuck with her until we die, till death do his part, then it's better not to marry. That's their response to this. In other words, the seriousness or how challenging this would be, they said it's better not to marry. And Jesus responds, you know what? Not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. And then he says, some are born eunuchs. Now, eunuch is the term there that, that uh, in essence, would best be translated today for us as remain single. Okay, but eunuch could literally mean that they were castrated. Okay, and that would happen. Oftentimes, slaves would be castrated so they could not have, could not impregnate the royalty or the, the family that they were a part of, so they'd be castrated. And so he said, some were born eunuchs. In other words, some were born single with a propensity to be in this place of being single. Some have been made that way by others, interesting, and then some chose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus finishes by saying, let anyone who can accept this statement, accept it. Anyone who can accept this statement, accept it. 
Sharon and I are going to talk about kind of three things that come out of this, okay? And so stay with us. I know, you know, Friday night's always a little challenge. You've been in class all week and, and, uh, and stuff. But we want, to, we want to share three things that will continue to set us up. One of the things you're going to hear from us throughout this weekend is a lot of repetition. So if you kind of can't track, come pick, pick up something a little later. We'll, we'll come back to certain things. But there's three things that we really feel like we want to be able to share out of this uh, with you tonight. That, in essence, is coming out of Scripture, but really changed the game for us when we were in college. When we were in this dating relationship, that I would say was very typical, red-blooded American relationship. I mean, it was, it was all, the, all the stuff that you often see in relationships, it's just messy and filled with sand fleas. And what shifted it for us were these three things that we're going to talk about. Well, in understanding the game plan, as um, we we're calling it tonight, we came to um, the realization that marriage, and it's obvious from this text, that God it, God's plan was that it's lifelong. And that all of our relationships are to be life-giving, and he gives us a lot of life choices. And those are three, three things we're going to talk through tonight. The first one, that marriage is lifelong, that may seem really obvious, but if you grow up in a home like, to, like I did or like Ryan Church did, it's not obvious at all. Because my parents divorced, and maybe this is your story too, when I was in about third grade. My um, dad went on to marry, divorce, marry, divorce, marry again four times. And my mom had a subsequent relationships and eventually married. But my childhood was relational chaos. I didn't have one friend that I can, I can't name one friend that I know when I was young that had married parents. So for me, this was a complete paradigm shift that in my mind, I thought marriage is temporary. Relationships are temporary and they're great as long as they last. And when they're not, when you're not happy anymore, you kind of move on. And that's what I had seen my whole life. So kind of a repercussion of that is I wasn't a very forward, future-thinking person. I would always be thinking in the moment. So even when I had this boyfriend that I had dated a while, I was never the person that would write, Mrs. Michael J. Gaffney. You know, <laughs> that's not me because I never thought about that. Come on. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe once. I don't know. So uh, this, was, this really changed everything for me because I realized... Wow, with the way that God designed this, this is just brokenness that I've seen. I haven't really seen um, God's plan lived out. And, and God began to put mentors and role models in my life where I began to see this. I began to see that this was possible. So it, it did change for me. So one of, one of the things we learn about God in Scripture is that God is a God of covenant. And it's not a word that we use very much anymore, but Old and New Testament, it means covenant. That's what the word means. So when we talk about a covenant, more often today we use the word contract, but they're not the same. So a contract would go something like this. Um, if you agree to X, then I agree to Y. If you no longer do X, then I no longer agree to Y. So there's an if-then component to any contract. If, if I just got a new roof, if you put a new roof on my house and I like your job, I'll pay you whatever it's going to be. But if you don't, then no, we're done. So that's how we think of marriages today, right? Contracts, easily no-fault 
you know, you don't do it, I don't do it. So, but that's not how God's contract is with us at all. It, he has a covenant relationship, and he asks us to be in a covenant relationship in this kind of relationship, whereas I'm holding my end of the bargain regardless of what you do. So one of the things when I was just a baby, baby, baby Christian, one of the things I read in Hebrews, my, like my first time ever reading the Bible, I came across the verse that said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that was the first promise that I felt like God wrote that to me because I had never seen relationship that lasted or that offered something different than this whole life that I had grown up in. So covenant, the idea of covenant is so important to God. It's his whole game plan for us is to be in a covenant relationship with him. And then for those who choose to accept the teaching that of marriage, that that's what it looks like. It's, for li- it's lifelong and it's a covenant that we don't break. I kind of liked this commitment um, definition when I first came across it. It says, true commitment is about behaving in the way in which you promise to behave. Now that the mood in which you made the promise has changed, because I think we all can relate to that. We make big promises and then, oh, I'm not kind of in that mood anymore, so negate that. Mm. You should tell, well, you should just make a comment too, though. When Sherry tells an interesting story, and this is, as you can see here, if you're paying attention, we're talking about the fact that Jesus made this statement about marriage being lifelong because that was the way God designed it. He designed marriage to be lifelong, right? It's, it's, it's until death do you part, not simply because he created us a rule, it's not a rule. Don't divorce is not a rule. Okay, you have to think differently. It's a it's a principle based on the fact that God designed us in His image. See, because we're created in the image of God, we have to begin to understand what that then means to be created in the image of God. And one of the things Sherry would talk about is that when she first started walking around Christian settings like this, people would talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, 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 you believe in God, but do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And Sherry would often say, that isn't... That wasn't attractive. That wasn't attractive. She'd be like... Yeah, we think that's going to be the draw. I was like, well, what's going to make that different than any other other relationship relationship that I've seen not work out? And and that's why that verse is so powerful. It even kind of tears me up when she says it, because to me, I understood it. I understood from her vantage point that trust is the factor in her life, that, that relationships end. And for her to come to Jesus and realize, no, 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 he really means it. That he's created a covenant with you. If you say yes to him, I always say it this way. Jesus gets down on his knees and invites you to wed him. Okay? And he will never stop asking. And he will never leave you at the altar. You might, but he won't. That's the way it is. If you read the parables and the stories in Scripture, that's what he will do up until the very end. He's still waiting for you. Which leads to the second thing, which is life-giving. And this is another overarching thing. You need to understand that our God's a covenant, a God who covenants with us. And though we are adulterous, he stays faithful. Okay? You have to understand that. The second thing you have to understand about God when he created us is that he's a life-giver. 
Now, I might take you all the way back to Genesis, but to go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to read Genesis 3 tomorrow night. But go back and read Genesis 2, 1 and 2 sometime between this, tonight or tomorrow just to get a taste of it. But just read it and watch life spring forth. Now, it's the creation story, so of course it's all about create, things being created. But it's amazing to watch, just listen to him when he talks about seed-bearing trees that bear seed. He talks about animals that, that bear more animals. And that when he creates man and woman, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And that's just chapter 1. You go into chapter 2 and he starts talking more about, matter of fact, to the point where when he can't find Adam as a suitable mate, he puts Adam to sleep, right, and takes a rib and out of Adam creates life. And when Adam sees the woman, it's like, he's like, boom, boom, flesh my, I mean, it's, he's ecstatic. Like, he's going to, wow. Like that's, he's having a moment right there. It's all life. It's, the whole thing is about life. It's about life and giving life and being more life. And so I emphasize this to, to emphasize to us that throughout the entire Bible, and I don't have time to do it tonight, but I, but I could if, if we had time. I actually had a talk that I've done uh, that's about a 35-minute talk that will take you from Genesis to Revelation and show you various themes. I'll run about three th themes through the entire Bible. One of them is a theme of life. All throughout his life, John 3.16, most famous verse, we'll sure we'll see it at the Super Bowl. John 3.16, for God so what? Maybe another word? Love the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but what? Life. Okay? Show you all throughout Scripture. It's all about life. Okay? Now, here's the deal. If you don't obey God in Genesis, what happens? If you don't, if you eat from the tree you're not supposed to eat from, what's going to happen? You're going to die. So the opposite is death, right? Keep in mind, by the way, you guys, okay, okay, listen. The consequence of distrusting God, or let me use another word that we don't like to use that much in the church anymore, sin. When we sin and we distrust God, we don't choose to follow God, the consequence in the scriptures is not hell. The consequence in scripture is death. That's the consequence, okay? Any other understanding you want to have about hell and anything else has got to be underneath the understanding that in Genesis, the promise was you eat from that tree, you'll die. That's what will happen. Okay, that's the whole pre premise. So, here's my, my whole point. Is, what's, your, what's your point? Sherry's like going, come on, you're getting, you're getting all fired up, okay? My, my church is like going, Gaffney, people got to get to bed at some point in time. So, but I know you guys won't with me until 2, so oh well, I'll take some of your time, some of that time. Here's the deal. Is that this is what changed for us. It, it was significant for us. Is that when we learned, we came to understand that, that it's much better to go through life thinking about life and death than thinking about right and wrong. See, because what most of the church has taught throughout its history, and what many of you grew up with as kids, was kind of a right-wrong perspective. Right? Right? I mean, there aren't a lot of the questions that you even ask around sex. What can we do and what can't we do a right-wrong thinking? But most of you rarely think about it from a life perspective. So when I'm a 17-year-old hormone-filled boy in America dating this hot, gorgeous girlfriend of mine, okay? First of all, well, okay, I have to keep this 
my daughter's in the room. I have to keep this in the right perspective. Really? Really, this is where you're not supposed to listen. Right? And I got this beautiful woman in my life. Okay? That was all about what I wanted. Okay? And you may, you may, as a Christian, say, well, what's right and what's wrong? What changed for us in our life was discovering a place where the question really boiled down to what was life-giving to her. Now, when I begin to learn that, oh, my gosh, God created me and gave me life, that I, too, would be a life-giver. That what I would do in people's life would be that, would be give them life. Do those things that bring life to you, not death to you. So it totally changes the question. So when I'm asking a question nowadays about what to do or not to do, I don't tend to ask a right or wrong question. I ask a life or death question. Is this going to bring me life? Is it going to bring you life? Okay? Is it going to bring death to me? Is it going to bring death to you? See, I get out of this moralistic game with God because God goes, I don't want to be in a moralistic game with you. Mike, this isn't what it's about. I created you for life. I gave you life. I sent my son that you would have life. Choose life. Can I smoke weed, God? Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You can. What's it going to cause down the road? Can you sleep with your girlfriend? Sure. But what's it going to cause down the road? Is it going to cause life or is it going to cause death? Or is it right or wrong? Right or wrong? Is it going to cause life or is it going to cause death? It may be semantics for some of us. It may be semantics, but for me it was all the difference in the world to understand that our God was constantly coming about and bringing us life. But you know what? It's not only about romantic relationships. Sherry's got a great story she wanted to share. um... We start by giving life in the situation where we live in now. I mean, most of us here are not married yet. So where do we give life right now? And how do we learn to give life uh, with people where we live? Well, uh, you know, working for Young Life is pretty amazing. We've gotten to go some pretty amazing places. And one of our current heroes right now is a person named James Davis. And let's put James's picture up there. This is James. He's a regional director in the country of Liberia. And started Young Life College in Liberia. Yeah, Yeah. he started Young Life College in Liberia, and this guy is a hero. You know that Liberia has had a huge problem, a huge epidemic with Ebola. Um, We were there in September, and we were supposed to meet with James, and he ended up not being able to come to where we were. It was right when the breakout was starting to happen. It was right where this was, yeah, it was right when it was starting to happen. But James is always thinking about how to be life-giving in death situations. And he and his Young Life team would go in to um, villages where people were dying of Ebola. And he'd be bringing them supplies. Everyone was going out. Everyone was moving out. And James and his team were moving in. And what we have seen with Africa, there's kind of a, you know, everybody wants to go to Africa. Everybody wants to help, but not now. People aren't rushing to Africa anymore. People are getting out of that place, you know. But James, he, he and his team decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a, a young life camp, the best young life camp that we've ever had. It's going to be for all these kids that have lost their moms, their dads, their children or siblings. And they put on this camp and had 117 Ebola survivors at their camp. 
They literally rolled out a red carpet when they arrived. It literally. was absolutely amazing. In the midst of death. Bringing life. God calls and, us to be life givers. And, and James got on a plane last week and went to Sierra Leone to go visit Ebola patients there. So bringing life in death-giving situations. That sounds really extreme. Not all of us do that, but it's, a, it's an inspiration to me. It raises the bar for me to think, how do I bring life to the people that I live amongst? Because in comparison to that, I've got a lot to learn. The last thing we want to talk about, and this is a little bit briefer, but the last thing we talk, want to talk about is life choices. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at this passage in Matthew that, 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 uh, that we read, part of what Jesus is placing before his buddies his disciples, when they're like going, man, Jesus, really? I mean, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. And, he, and Jesus is kind of saying, you know, the one who can should. And, and he's talking about eunuchs and some being born that way and some being made that way by others. But then he says, but some choose that. And that was a passage of scripture, you know, again, like I said, it's just not something you spend a lot of time in. There's a couple things, first of all, I want to say. I believe that in Matthew 19, Jesus dignifies being single, is what he does. He's basically saying, look, this is a choice that some people make, and it's a good choice. And for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it's a good choice. And some will choose marriage, and that's a good choice. And that both of these things are good choices. Um, but here's the point that I think he's making, is it's a choice that you need to decide to make. And Sherry and I kind of thought, how do we get into this thing that obviously one of the grand themes of Scripture in the story in Genesis is that God did give Adam and Eve a choice. So you can eat from any tree you want to eat. You can eat from the tree of life and live for You can eat and eat and eat every single tree you want except for one tree, that tree of, tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil, which simply represents, not to get deep into that conversation tonight, but which simply represents whether or not you're going to trust Him and let Him be God. Okay, a choice. A decision that's made in our life. I always tell people that uh, people are often waiting around, for, you know, praying to Jesus, trying to get some direction from Jesus. And I often say, you know, there's really only one decision Jesus makes for you. And that was a decision he made 2,000 years ago to lay his life down for you. He made a decision. But from then, he empowers you to make decisions. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them. And he told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and steward it. Be responsible. Matter of fact, when God brought animals to, to Adam, uh, he had Adam name the animals. You know, naming something's a big deal, right? When we've discovered diseases, who person who discovers it gets to name it, right? I mean, naming things is a big deal. See, so when God told Adam to name the animals, it says, so whatever Adam chose, such was its name. I'm sure when God said hippopotamus, you know, God was like, okay, dumb name, but we'll, we'll take hippopotamus. But he, but he let him, he let him, he let him make decisions, right? Even the, even that bad decision to eat from that tree, right? There's decisions. We, God gives us decisions. Sometimes I think we're all sitting around, waiting around, kind of praying that God somehow, someday, is just going to reveal to us exactly what He wants. And uh, and I pray all the time that God would do that for me too. <laughs> I pray that God would speak to me and tell me exactly what to do each day I wake up. I do. I really do. I pray that God would speak in an audible voice. But most of the time, what God is saying to me is He's usually asking me questions back. Well, what do you want to do? Well, what would be life giving in that situation, Mike? 
What's faithfulness look like in this situation? Sherry and I often say, God isn't as concerned with who you marry. It's how you marry. See, God cares how you marry. We're concerned about who we're going to marry. We're concerned about finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright when God all along is saying, you know, what I want is for you to be Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. And that's a decision you make. And so Sherry and I come this weekend, and Ryan, by invitation, uh, and Janie and the rest of the team, we're here to say, first of all, there's hope. There's hope. Um, we have a wonderful marriage. We do. And we can stand up here and, and tell you all incredibly grand truths and, you know, all these, you know, seven steps to this and ten steps to that and make it all look really rosy and wonderful. But what we want you to know is that back in 1982, 83, our freshman year of college, we were absolutely clueless. What we talked to you about today was not anywhere close to the forefront of our mind. It never would have come off our lips. We did not know any of the stuff that we're talking about. But God, through others, taught us and gave us hope of what could be. What I didn't mention, as Sherry mentions, is I grew up in kind of a family that was very different. My parents were married for 53 years, nine children, 27 grandchildren. I have no idea how many grandchildren there are right now but at this point, but there's a lot. I grew up 50, my parents were married for 53 years. To me, marriage was permanent. Marriage was for a lifetime, but it wasn't life-giving. I looked at my parents' marriage in, in my life and said, that's not what I want. My dad was an alcoholic most of my life and um, was not good to my mom. Now, I have deep respect for my father. Uh, my dad was a good man um, and something got a hold of his life that made it tough but uh, their marriage survived till they died till my dad died but Sherry and I made a decision when we were very young after we got taught a few things that we were not going to settle for surviving nor were we going to settle for dying and divorcing but we decided that we were going to thrive that there's a different way to look at life to thrive and so we want to simply be hope for those of you that it may feel hopeless. You wonder if it could happen in your life. And I'm, we're standing up here just as Ryan does as well and say, there's hope. We have a God who covenants with us, who's faithful to us, and is going to give us life so that we can make the decisions that bring life to not only you, but to the people around you, all right? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for bringing us here tonight to Black Lake. And I pray, Lord, for each person that's here, that you intentionally prompted them to be here. And you're going to speak to them in some way. And I pray that that's clear to them. I pray, Lord, that you would really um, use this time of small groups for people to get to know one another, to share their stories, to feel freedom, to feel safe to be able to share their thoughts um, openly, that you would really make that a sacred time. Thank you so much for what you have done for each one of us, whether we know it or whether we don't. Thank you for giving us life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.